Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of BSN Denver, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. The punt has a snap. Play action. Set to throw. He's going for the home run. Tony Brown is in the end zone. And he makes the crowd. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. Oh, what a throw. Oh, what a catch by Tony Brown. I now know what Brown can do for you. And we're a PAT away. It's spotted at the 39, a 49-yard field goal by Isaac Armstrong. Snap, put down, kick is up, it's on its way, and it is no good! The Buffs win! The red turn blue! And the black and gold have knocked off the Huskers for the second year in a row! You've got to be kidding me! Storming the field! Welcome to episode 46 of McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. I'm your host, as always, Matt McChesney, and today is a great day. It is a great day to be a Colorado Buffalo, and I know the Denver Broncos lost on Monday Night Football, but to be honest with you, there's nothing on this earth that can diminish my excitement for CU beating uh, the hated rival Nebraska in front of all those big red fans, all the people in Colorado who who claimed Big Red and then all those communists that came in from Nebraska. Uh, you know, I was a little perturbed about the stadium being full at the beginning, but to be honest with you, I love the fact they were all there to watch us beat them again. Um, we're obviously going to talk about the huge rivalry wins to open the season for the Buffs and talk about the Air Force Academy rolling into Folsom this weekend. Um, the state of California passed a bill uh, that could allow NCAA athletes to make money on their likenesses and images, and this could be groundbreaking legislation, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, we'll talk about what the NCAA will do with that. Um, you know, we'll talk about how much we are pulling for the Iowa Hawkeyes now for the rest of the season. Go Hawkeyes! <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, we will get into the National Football League after we wrap up college football in the weekend that was, but really we're just going to talk about the Buffs. And then we'll talk about, you know, the NFL and week one and how much of a letdown it is to watch pro football on Sunday after watching college football Saturday. And I don't know why that is, but pro football has become really boring to me. And, you know, college just seems so much more enthusiastic and the kids seem like they're having so much more fun. And I don't know. We'll talk about that as we get into the show. But uh, neither here nor there, it is 100% time to talk about Colorado and Nebraska. Okay, so CU gets a huge win, 34-31, after going to Lincoln last year and winning 33-28. Uh, Steven Montez, again, plays great when it's time to in the second half. Uh, with three minutes left in the third, they get their first score from uh, the Detroit City Madman, number one. I love the running back. I think he's going to be an absolute stud for the for the bus moving forward. And... Magum, the, the the tailback from Detroit, the DC the Detroit City Madman is what I'm calling him now. 
Uh, but he he had a great game. He set the scoring off. And then the Buffs went on a run, man, and they opened up the playbook. The flea flicker to KD was outstanding. I love the big nuts it took by Jay Johnson and Shiv and everybody to call that play backed up. You got to really trust your offensive line. I thought Coach Cap's group and Coach Shiv's group did an unbelievable job blocking at the point of attack. Now, the offensive line played five guys as one fist, plus Brady Russell, who was outstanding again. 38 is going to be a pro one day. He's an absolute stud. That football lineage in the Russell family, everybody knows that. The wide receivers and the way they were blocking at the point of attack, man, if you're going to block like that, you are going to get more footballs thrown your way, in my opinion, than you know what to do with. So I thought that all that was great. Did I like being in a 17-point hole to Nebraska? Fuck no, I didn't like that. But the heart and character of this team shows being down and coming back. They were down to CSU, came back. They were down to Nebraska by 17, going into the fourth, essentially. And they came back and won 34-31. And I was on the field the majority of the game. I went up and watched the, the, the end of it in the boxes because it was 900 degrees on the field and I was dying. Maybe they should move the sideline to the other side. I went up and finished it with my family, and it was it was just as electric up there as it was on the field. The shit was crazy. So, look, I think that they should try to find a way to play this game every year. Any Nebraska people that thinks this isn't a rivalry, you just sound dumb as fuck now. So shut up. Or keep talking, because we all do think you're retarded anyway, so keep it up. Um, to be honest with you, I'd like to you know, just take this opportunity to say since 2000, it's 6-6. to six. So that's pretty rivalistic, in my opinion, if that's even a word. And not only is it 6-6, six to six, but CU's won in Lincoln several times, and they've won in Boulder, and, you know, they've had big games. And I think that these last two games were very relevant because, obviously, CU won both of them, and that makes me really happy. Being in the, on the sideline in Lincoln last year was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life with my brother Sean and Pesavino and that team and the atmosphere afterwards. But... The season and how it ended was a letdown. This year, I hope that we can establish this momentum and just keep rolling because I think they have a really, really legitimate shot to play in the Pac-12 title game, and I am not fucking around. All right, UCLA is nothing special. USC has a freshman quarterback, and I don't think Coach Tucker is going to be intimidated by USC when they come into Folsom. That's an opportunity to finally beat the Trojans. Arizona State, they really, really struggle with Sacramento State, 19-7. to We'll see what they are. I know they have a great offensive lineman in Cole Cabral and Benjamin. Their tailbacks are just excellent, but they have a true freshman quarterback as well, so that's a must-win in Tempe to open up the Pac-12 season uh, after they play Air Force, obviously. you know. So you look at the Pac-12 South, and other than Utah, you know, I, I don't think that there's any really great teams, and CU seems like they have the most returning leadership and accountability and guys that have been in wars. And maybe last year losing seven in a row is the kind of fire this team needed. And, you know, when Mel Tucker walks in and he asks his team right off the bat, do you want to be relevant and do you want to win? And everyone says yes. Well, he's going to show you how to get it. So make sure that you remember you said yes, and this team remembers, and they put in the work. And you can tell they are physical. They're in better shape. Coach Drew with the, with the strength staff has done an unbelievable job. They're, they're ready to play in the third and fourth quarter. They don't get discouraged by one bad thing happening like they did last year. They are truly 
encompassing everything that their head coach brings to the table, being calm at the, you know, under fire and not panicking because your team can see it. How many times last year did Coach Mack have the we are defeated look on his face and the team followed suit? That's what happens. In, in college, it's all about your coach. And right now, the Colorado Buffalo have a great one in Mel Tucker. Not only that, but I cannot sit here and tell you that the hiring of Jimmy Brubaugh as the as the D-line coach, and I hope I'm saying that right, because JB, Coach JB is one of the baddest men in the game. He had his guys eating the corn the other day. And Coach Cap, the O-line and D-line coaches that they brought in this year, that Coach Tucker brought with him, have got the fronts playing like they did back in the day. They're physical. They're all working together. They're all smart. There's some depth now on the offensive line. There's a lot of guys in the twos and threes that are wanting to play, that are fighting for opportunities, which pushes things at practice. You can tell that everybody's on the same page because they're all walking off the field and making adjustments and then walking onto the field and actually applying them. They're not just talking about the adjustments. They're doing it. And you can tell because they've come back in back-to-back weeks to win football games against rivals. That's hard to do. My senior year, we beat all of our rivals. My sophomore year, we beat all of our rivals. That's it. Every other year, we lost to somebody. So it is a, it is a tough road to hoe when you're playing a team that really wants to beat you. And and look, I think that Coach Cap's group up front, even if they do sustain an injury, I think they'll be able to absorb it because they're consistent, number one, and they're all working together. Hambright, the grad transfer coming in from Oklahoma State, has walked in and solidified the left tackle position. That kid's going to be a pro. He's done a great job. I think he's probably a guard at the next level first, but he's done a really good job at left tackle for CU. Great feet, really fits the scheme well, and he seems to get along with the guys. He stepped straight in as a natural leader to help Lanot. Tim Lanot at center was awesome. He did a really good job, and really, after 79, got the best of him a couple of times in the early in the game. They started ace block in 79 with double teams and stretch plays. And he couldn't keep up with the, the lateral quickness of the offensive line and then the vertical physicality of them. And, the you know, Purcell, the guard, and, and Lenat were just moving 79 on the second touchdown run by the Detroit City Madman Magnum, number one. They absolutely annihilated 79, threw him on his fat ass, and then seemed seven Muhammad as number one scored. So... There's a ton to be really, really, really excited about if you're the Colorado Buffaloes. We haven't even talked about the passing game. We haven't even mentioned, too. The Wildcat got us first downs. I love that wrinkle. I love it. I was on the Miami Dolphin team when we introduced the Wildcats to the NFL, so I know exactly how that goes. I started at guard for that team for a lot of games. The passing game is elite. If they can protect and they can hit you with the running game early and set up play action like they did to Tony Brown, who's a pro, Number two is a pro. Katie Nixon, he could be a pro. That son of a bitch can move, I'll tell you. And he could be an unbelievable returner at the next level, too. I'm really, really impressed with KD. He's a, they got dudes all over the damn field. All over the field. And Harris, the big tight end from Auburn, he, was, he, had, a, he had a pretty good game. But I honestly, I didn't really even see much of him. Brady Russell was out there scissor blocking the shit out of people and crushing folks. Now, Nebraska. There is nothing on this earth we enjoy more in Boulder than beating you. The reason I went to the University of Colorado is to beat you. I am one of the original Cornhusker killers, okay? 
The original group of Cornhusker Killers came from the 88, 89, 90 team, all right? They beat them back-to-back. My group beat them back-to-back in 01 and 02, and then again in 04 in Lincoln to end the 35-year bull streak. And then this group just beat them back-to-back. So the Cornhusker Killer, that, that's a, I'm telling you, it's a generational thing now. You've got a decade in the three of the last four decades that have beat this team twice in a row and consistently makes them eat the you're not a rival words. And we didn't even play for, what, eight, nine years? So to be honest with you, if we would have kept playing, God knows where this would have been. So this is a real rivalry. It needs to be played every year. I walked up to Rick George at the beginning of the contest and said thank you to him for bringing it back. But also, what do we have to do to make sure we play it every year? And look, if I'm Nebraska, I can sit here and talk about the 1970s in Oklahoma all I want, but they don't look at you as a rival anymore at all. And I know you play them the next two years, and that's all good and great, but then you got to come back to Folsom. And in 2023, you know what we're going to do? We're going to lock the fucking gates on you again and whip that ass again. And all the young guys that were there yesterday for that game and that didn't get an opportunity to beat you but were there in uniform, whether they're redshirting or first-year players, they're all going to be juniors and seniors at that point and know what it's like and know what that tastes like to beat Nebraska in Folsom, to beat Nebraska in Lincoln, and they're going to beat you in 23 and 24 again. So keep acting like it's not a rivalry, and we will keep whooping your motherfucking ass all up and down the field. If you can't tell that I'm excited about this and really pumped up, you obviously don't have a pulse. There's nothing I like more than beating these people. So the corn go down. They are now one and one. Uh, They're picked to win their division still, which is crazy to me, but whatever. Um, Mel Tucker, unbelievable job coaching. Shiv, Cap, Coach JB, everybody. Uh, Coach Johnson, Coach Summers, the defensive coordinator who, you know, I've had so many CSU fans, so many CSU people walk up to me and be like, oh, good luck with Coach Summers. He's going to be terrible. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess we'll see what we can see. And he's been awesome. He was awesome the first week. Yeah, his team struggled in the first half, but the adjustments made between him and Tucker at halftime, the defense took off with with four turnovers and a bunch of pressure and sacks and touchdowns. And then in this game, the way that they responded in the second half, pretty much shutting Nebraska down with the exception of a couple big plays, was awesome. It was great to see. And to be honest with you, the CSU fans can stick it in their ass. I think that we've got a really good coach and Coach Summers at the defensive coordinator position. So have fun sitting up there and spinning on it, CSU. See you in Fort Collins next year as well after we whip that ass. All right, so we're going to move on from the Colorado Buffaloes. Uh, but actually, one last thing. Players of the game, all right? The uh, the six zero studios and the BSN Denver players of the game here from McChesney Unchained are real simple, okay? Last week, I specifically said the best three players on defense need to be Showtime Mustafa Johnson, Davion Taylor, number 20, and Nate Lamon. Davion Taylor was all over the damn field and just killing all those flat, you know, the flat reads and the zone read plays by Nebraska, especially in the second half. He had close to 10 tackles. Nate Lamon had 15 stops. I think that's the exact number I said he needed to have for us to win and was the defensive player of the week. And then Mustafa Johnson was the defensive player of the week in the Pac-12 with three sacks and a forced fumble, and I saw him miss a sack too. And I talked to Mustafa after the game, and I, you know, I'll tell him and I'll tell you, I think he's the best three technique to play at CU since your boy. So I, I'm damn impressed with what I saw from 34. Those three absolutely balled. And then Montez, I'm telling you, the 
the knock on Steven at times is that he's not he's not a natural leader or he's not as charismatic as you'd want. That's not what I see. I see a quarterback with true swag. He's just getting smarter and smarter the more he sees and the more he plays and the more he listens to this coaching staff. They've really got him progressing up. I think Montez is draftable. I think he's going to go high once he gets on the on the uh, on the board, and hopefully he can articulate everything on the board. I'd, I'd love to help him with that down the road, but that's neither here nor there. I think he's a draft pick. I think two's a draft pick. I think Tony Brown's a draft pick. I think Hambright's a draft pick. I think you've got probably five to seven guys on this team right now that are draft picks, in my opinion, and that's not even talking about everybody else that could potentially play at the next level. So. I like what's happening in Boulder. I'm really, really excited about the future. And to be honest with you, I'd like to play Nebraska every fucking week just to make them suck on it. Like, I'm telling leaving the stadium was more fun this year than it was in Lincoln last year. Maybe. I don't know. Leaving the stadium last year in Lincoln, being surrounded by him was awesome. Because Sean and I were talking so much shit. Leaving the stadium this year with my family wasn't as rambunctious. So last year was better, but this year's win was better. I don't know. They both kicked ass. I'm really excited about it. And I think the buffs are going to ride this wave. And all I can say is go Hawkeyes. <laughs> all right. So moving on. Uh, the state of California has put a bill in motion, essentially, that is going to be voted on. Groundbreaking legislation, in my opinion, where NCAA athletes are now allowed to use their images and likenesses to make money. Okay. So if this is going to happen... The NCAA essentially came out and said, verbatim, we're going to essentially persecute the athletes if they do this. We're going to be the train. We're going to lay them down on the tracks and run them over. And the administrations aren't going to suffer from this. The athletes are. Now, obviously, that's what the NCAA would do because they only go after the people that have no power in this situation. At least that's what they think. Just hearing that, if I'm an athlete in the NCAA... Why doesn't one of these big-time players just try and figure out a way to unionize or get everybody together on social media? And it, it's really not that many people when you think about it. And everybody that's on scholarship, just stop playing. And if you, everybody wants to watch all the walk-on guys playing a game, then okay, go play. But everybody else that wants to get paid and actually get something for their time, you need to stop playing. You need to strike the, the NCAA. You need to strike college football. I hate that I'm saying this because I love it. But you need to strike if you actually want to get what's yours. You need to strike if you want medical coverage. You need to strike if you actually want to pay for your classes rather than getting a stipend check saying that this is, this is somehow equal to what you're bringing in, which is total horseshit. The revenue from Nebraska CU alone had to be through the damn roof. It was their first sellout in a long time. So the revenue from the Rocky Mountain Showdown was through the roof. They're, they're making money hand over foot in the NCAA. The people in the NCAA don't want this to happen, and they're going to try and blackball the California schools, and the California schools are probably going to get scared that they're going to get kicked out of the NCAA and everything that subsidizes that. And hopefully there's somebody that has the integrity enough to understand that this is bigger than just the money in front of us. It's about long dough and helping the guys in the next generation and the next generation. So in eight years from now, people are actually getting paid to play football in college, which is they can absolutely fucking do. I don't want to hear they can't do it. There's too much money not for it to happen. You're telling me you're going to sacrifice everything just because you don't want to pay the players? That's ridiculous. And I don't understand how it's acceptable that someone's earning potential from the age of 17 or 18 until 21, 22 can be cut like that. I don't understand it. 
I would have loved to have gotten paid for the five years I was at CU. Then the, the five or six years I played in the NFL where I didn't make big time money, it may have leveled that out a little bit more and helped me save more money or taught me the importance of working for my money and taking care of it. I didn't really take football as seriously as I should have until they started giving me a paycheck. And I don't know why that was, but there's a lot of guys that think just like I do. If you want to incentivize college athletes to go to class, make them pay for their own classes by writing a check out of the account that they have to fill by playing football. Make football their fucking job. Don't try and minimize their earning potential and make them feel like endangered servants just because what? Because you give them free fucking sociology class? You give them free history of music and shit? I mean, give me a fucking break with this. This is about making money. Football is a business, and I'm tired of the college athlete being thrown these scraps and acting like it's it's you know it's some kind of some kind of banquet. All right, the scraps from the table are not banquet style eating. It's just not. Players need to strike. They need to stop playing now. Lock arm in arm and sit down. You'll be at the negotiating table in a day, one fucking day, because of all the money that the TV networks and schools are going to lose. If the NCAA wants to go out and suspend every single kid, okay, suspend them. Preseason football is real fun to watch. People love that. I'm sure they'll love watching all the walk-ons play. That's not going to happen. So it, I think that the players don't understand how much play, how much real power they have. And hopefully the state of California can stand behind the kids and not conform and like reform to the NCAA because of the big stick that they say they're going to swing. If the NCAA comes back to California and says, hey, you are either going to abide the NCAA rule or you're going to have to pick between the NCAA rule and the state of California's law, what are you going to do? If this goes into law, it is a law. You're breaking the law if you don't pay your players. But then again, if the players, players get paid in California, does that mean that they're essentially 86 from the NCAA? Is this the first step? in the 80 schools leaving. Andrew Mason and I talked about this when I did the uh, the Best Damn podcast on BSN last week when I was down at the studio. And he seems to think there's going to be 80 teams. 80 teams that, that leave the NCAA. And I, I'm with, I say there's 64, four conferences. He says there's 80 and five. Five 16-team conferences, I think, is what 80 would equal. I don't know. Me, let me bust out my calendar or my calculator real quick. Not my calendar. That's not going to tell me anything. At least I don't think it is. Yeah, it's 16. Wow, really good math, Matt. So you get five 16-team conferences, and then you have six playoff spots. You expand the playoffs. You get one at-large and five conference champions. And then you're you're not playing, you know, 10 versus 2 or 3. You're playing 6 versus 1. Or excuse me, the first two get a bye. You play 6 versus 3. And you play 4 versus 5. And then the winners of those go to play number 1 and number 2. And only conference champions get in. I don't care if you lose a division game. If you don't get into the conference title game, you're fucked. you got to win your conference games. It still keeps the importance on each and every game. Because you can't have a two-loss. Kind of, or it, But at the same time, it allows you to schedule like a big boy and not schedule a bunch of little kids at the beginning of the year. So now power fights can schedule each other knowing that they can lose one or two games at the beginning of the season to a good team, but still win their conference and go. It makes it more on the field rather than in some 
fucking, you know, conference room at the Hyatt with a bunch of old schoolers that only love the, you know, traditional powers being in the playoff, that, it shouldn't be opinion-based. It should be, let's figure it out on the field-based. And I bet you the guys around college football would agree with that. They would agree with figuring it out on the field. My man Joe Klatt's a huge proprietor to get people paid. But again, how do you do it? Jay Billis is on talking about people getting paid. How do you do it? So it's an interesting conundrum that the NCAA and college football and everybody finds themselves in. And I'm hoping that the great state of California, uh, that California gold, will stand up and fight for these student athletes. And I hope other states follow suit. And if this is the beginning of the end of the NCAA, praise Jesus, we can't get rid of them fast enough. They are 100% responsible for inhibiting growth and financial security for God knows how many people. And I don't want to hear that getting a college degree equals financial security. Give me a fucking break. Most of the guys go to school to play football and get a communication degree. Very rarely are you seeing guys that are pushed to go be, you know, molecular biologists or rocket scientists. I mean, look at the, the cat. What was it? Uh... What was his name? The the safety from Florida State years back who was an All-American but wanted to be a brain surgeon or a neurosurgeon or something of that nature. And nobody drafted him because they were really worried about his commitment to football. Bitch, he's a neurosurgeon. You don't want him on your team? You know, the, the guard, uh, Ushler, I think. John Ushler is his name. Oakler or something like that. Who's a world-renowned mathematician who's now, I think he's at Harvard or MIT after he retired from the Ravens because... He couldn't swing both. Baltimore wouldn't let him essentially chase his dream of being a mathematician also, so he had to choose. So look, football can be a bridge, but it can also be an anchor. And the NCAA needs to understand the power in teaching people economic uh, fluidity, but also the ability to put money in your pocket and not just rotate it to the other one as you spend it. If you teach people the ability, or you teach these kids how to manage their money and pay things, pay for things by themselves with the money that they do receive. And you teach them financial literacy and how to pay their taxes and do things of that nature, how to not to get fucked over by money managers and agents. And you take the four or five years to actually teach them that plus football, you're going to get a whole bunch of financially literate people walking into a young person's world that where no one else is financially literate. No one. Nobody is taught how to balance a checkbook or do your taxes or fucking, you know, all the things that QuickBooks does. No one's taught that. No one's taught how to really manage their money. All you're taught how to do is earn it and spend it. And if all you know how to do is earn it and spend it, you're never going to save any of it and your retirement's going to be shit. So it's an, there's so many more opportunities for the NCAA to exploit here, and they just don't see it like that because all they're fucking worried about is controlling these kids, not coaching them and pushing them constructively down the road so we can change things. Even if it happens adversely, who cares? We have to change things in order for things to improve. I really hope that California figures this out. It will only help the state of the NCAA. There's no way it could hurt. All right, moving forward. Please remember that everything college football-wise is brought to you by our great friends at 10th and Uni, T-E-N-T-H-A-N-D-U-N-I.com. Use the promo code BUFFCLUB and they'll give you a nice discount. I was rocking one of their hats the other day at the Buff Nebraska game. A bunch of people uh, came up to me and asked me where I got them and I told them, gave them a bunch of cards. 
My man Morgan and his company, 10th and Unity, are outstanding. All you Buffalo fans out there, you're in California, you're in South Dakota, you're in Texas, you're in Florida, it doesn't matter. Get on 10thandunity.com, check out the websites and the, the Twitter and Instagram pages. And it, it, the, the t-shirts are outstanding. The hats are where it's at, though. The hats are deep, they're snapback, and they're classy. And the, the, the old school Colorado weaving, and they're just badass. Coach Chivarini is a huge, uh, a, a huge wearer, I guess, a huge donner of 10th Immunity swag, just like I am. And they're really picking up. I saw a lot of 10th Immunity hats up in Boulder this last weekend. So check out 10thimmunity.com. And a big thanks to them for uh, being our title sponsor here uh, throughout the football season for all your Colorado Buffalo action. All right, so now moving into the National Football League, okay? Uh, and we're just going to go through this and talk until we get to the Broncos. It'll be the last thing we talk about and deal with it. All right. Week one, Antonio Brown goes completely nuts and ends up with New England. He didn't play uh, and it didn't matter. New England hammered Pittsburgh 33-3. to I don't know if Pittsburgh is any good or not. Roethlisberger lost Le'Veon and Antonio Brown in the last year and a half. You're not going to get better on offense when that happens, but they looked anemic. Uh, I think that after watching how bad the NFL was yesterday with the exception of a couple games, maybe they should play in the preseason. I don't know how you practice and get better at football with never playing it. I don't understand it. So you can't really get better in practice all the time. That's why they put preseason games in. And if you don't want to play football, then why are you out there? I mean, I never understood why guys were so reluctant to play in a game. Who gives a shit what kind of game it is? Go play. You're supposed to like it. So it is what it is. Pittsburgh looked terrible. Uh, but again, New England just looks phenomenal. And Tom Brady played three quarters in the third preseason game. So I don't want to hear about all this. Less is more in the preseason. I think we need the guys out there playing as much as possible from what I saw this weekend. Um, I think New England may be the best team in the, in the league and getting Antonio Brown. I think that it could help them. But I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I think that Antonio Brown going back to the Raiders and playing Monday night, I think they lose. I think that him not being there, they rallied the troops. They really relied on Williams as the number one. I said that on the show, and everybody looked at me like I was crazy, but I stand by it now. I mean, this is why I think bringing him back would have hurt the team, because he's a turd. They know what it's like when he's not there. So, once again, full circle, I don't know if Antonio Brown to New England makes New England a better team. I think it will make Antonio Brown a better player if he can just shut the fuck up and listen to Tom Brady and do his job. He could end up in the Hall of Fame with a couple of rings and be one of the best receivers ever at the end of this. I know from a stat perspective, he's one of the best ever, but from a diva perspective, he's one of the worst. So I, I really despise this guy, and I hope that New England can straighten him out. But then again, if New England straightens him out, that means New England's probably going 14-2. and two. I mean, how many weapons does Tom Brady need? And why is it so hard for people to replicate what Bill Belichick has done? Why? Why is accountability and do your job and all these things, why is it so hard to replicate? I don't understand that. That's a good question. Minnesota hammered Atlanta. Matt Ryan, window is closing. Cousins played well, but he's a 500 quarterback when it comes down to it. I'll let you know how Kirk Cousins is doing come week eight. We'll see if they're four and four or if they're six and two. I'm guessing they're going to be around four and four, four and three, and looking at another 500 year. That's what he does. Um, again, they've got a fast defense, and you know they've got some playmakers. Adam Thielen's a good player, and you know, Cook looked like he was healthy. But again, it's going to come down to Cousins making plays. Uh, later in the year, and can they beat Green Bay? 
Uh, the Lions and Arizona tied in the absolute worst part of the weekend. Um, I thought Kyler Murray played pretty good in the fourth quarter, but before that it was three quarters of absolute and that horseshit, it was terrible. Uh, Detroit was equally as bad. I don't know if Stafford's ever going to win there. I don't know if he's any good either or if he's terrible because he's in Detroit. So we may need to get Matthew Stafford out of Detroit if we can ever figure out if he can play. That's a guy that if the Flacco experiment doesn't work out, maybe the Broncos would think about going after a guy like Matt Stafford trying to get him from Detroit uh, for something rather than just trying to recycle guys that are getting cut or and or uh, drafting someone or going with Drew Locke. I don't know. I think Flacco probably will work out in the long run, but we'll see. Uh, once again, the tie is the worst part of sports. Um, I can't believe that the NFL is still rolling with this. Keep playing all day if you have to, but please, no fucking ties. I hate it. It's just, why did I just waste three hours watching this horse shit? I can only imagine how Slayer thought or felt being having to call the game and sit up there and like be politically correct about fucking tying. It was terrible. Awful. No more ties, please. Okay? The Ravens. And Lamar Jackson put 59 points on the hapless Dolphins. 50 fucking nine points. Uh, Lamar Jackson looked like he could throw the ball on Sunday. I don't know if that's just because it's 900 degrees in Atlanta or in Miami and the humidity and the ball's flowing nice and fluid through the air and the Dolphins are terrible. I don't know what it is, but you hang 59 points on somebody, you're pretty good on offense. Hollywood Brown, the kid from Oklahoma they drafted, is going to be electric. Uh, real fast, real problem down the field. So Lamar, like he said in this press conference, pretty good throwing for a running back. I love his personality about this and the fact that he's kind of taking it with a grain of, grain of salt, not letting people get under his skin. I think Baltimore could be legit, man, and especially with Cleveland shitting on themselves the way they did where we're going to go after this. Baltimore could be the best team in that division head, head and shoulders. Earl Thomas was flying around on defense. They look like they just reloaded on D, even though they lost Mosley and Weddle and a couple other cats. So Baltimore is going to be a problem. If, if Lamar Jackson can figure out how to throw the ball with any consistency whatsoever, especially in the playoffs when it's cold at the end of the year, because I will say this again, I'll be the first one to say it. When the temperature changes, all these, all the high scoring is going to go in the toilet, and you're going to be able to, you're going to have to run the ball play ball control, and play defense. So Lamar Jackson is going to have to make tight window throws at that point when the ball's not, you know, 100 degrees, when it's 5 degrees and rock hard. Nobody wants to catch it anymore. And it's not as easy. We'll see what happens. So once tape gets on him and the temperature changes, we'll see what happens. Last year in the playoffs, he was atrocious. Week one this week, he was outstanding. Ravens win 59-10. to 10. I don't know if that's just the Dolphins or the Ravens. We'll see. The Browns, okay, a couple of things. Number one, they got hammered at home by Tennessee, who I think is pretty good. You know, they were a game out of the playoffs last year. They lost to the Colts at the last game of the season to get in. They won a playoff game in Kansas City the year before. Mariota's playing for his financial life and his life in Tennessee. I'm sure he wants to stay down there, no reason to leave, stay where you're at. Um, I know he can feel Tannehill, you know, breathing down his neck. They signed him in the offseason, but Mariota looked really good. The defense looked really good. Delaney Walker, Walker looked really good, and Brable totally out-schemed Freddie Kitchens. Now, the Browns. The Browns did not look good, and they look like a product of hype. And what really pisses me off about Cleveland is they've got a bunch of individuals. Baker Mayfield, he stood up and took about accountability for it and said we were crap and people are going to hate on us, and they can't. 
But Jarvis Landry was so egotistical. Man, you can't ask me no question like that. Why Why? Why can't they ask you the fucking question, you douchebag? He's a member of the media. You didn't play at all in the, in the preseason. It's a legitimate question when he asks, do you think that not playing in the preseason was one of the reasons why everybody was so sluggish? Man, don't be asking me no question like that. You're such a dick. You all Just because you play in the NFL, it doesn't mean you're immune to questions. And it also doesn't mean that you don't have to, it, it also doesn't mean that you're any better than the reporter. It's his fucking job to ask this question, you douchebag. Just answer it. And I know you're a douchebag because your douchebag best friend, OBJ, was wearing a $350,000 fucking watch in the game. And he's going to continue to wear it from what I heard. The, the, the NFL said that they don't have a ban against jewelry, so he can continue to wear the watch. Bro, somebody step on this guy's arm really hard and break this fucking thing or rip it off. And oh, it wasn't me. That's a big game check if I just end up with someone's $350,000 watch. I don't know who took it. Shit. Do the Browns play the Rams? Because Tlaib will probably love a watch to go with his chain. I'm just saying, man. You don't need to wear a $250,000 watch to prove you have swag. You need to go catch the ball 15 times and score two touchdowns and be consistent. Not just be a, a, an object for everyone's affection for 15 minutes. Because that's essentially what Landry and Beckham are doing. The, the modern-day receivers don't understand that they are, they are replaceable, number one. They're exchangeable, number two. And all of them are going to be sitting around in 5, 10, 15 years from now bitching about not getting into the Hall of Fame because they played in an era with inflated numbers. They're like home run hitters in the 90s. Who gives a shit? They're everywhere. Now all I can say about the NFL is, yeah, numbers are awesome, but did they significantly change the game? Can you write the story of the NFL without this guy? Yeah, you can write it without OBJ. Yeah, what? He does great one-hand catches? Big fucking deal. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Was he consistent? Did he do it for a, a long time? Did he make the people around him better? Or did everybody want to get him out of the building? And was he more focused on how he looks and the fucking jewelry on his arm rather than how he's playing and the ring on his finger. That's what pisses me off about OBJ and Jarvis Landry. They're best friends and one of them can't be asked any questions and the other one's wearing a fucking watch that you could, you know, buy a house for. I mean, dude, come on, man. I mean, Freddie Kitchens isn't going to be able to control all these cats. Miles Garrett isn't a vocal leader. He's an introvert. He doesn't want to hang out with these dudes. The defense looked real shaky. The secondary looked shaky. Everybody looked like they've all been sitting around forgetting that they play for fucking Cleveland. You suck. You're two years off a winless season. You won seven games last year, and now everybody's just annoyed at you, and you want to crown them, just like Delaney Walker said. Crown them. Crown them. They haven't done shit. None of them. Odell Beckham was real lackluster in the playoffs when he made them when he was with the Giants. They shipped him out because of his attitude. Landry got shipped out of Miami because of his attitude. He never made the playoffs down there. Mayfield doesn't know what the playoffs are like. Freddie Kitchens doesn't know what the fucking playoffs are like. Nobody there knows what the playoffs are like. Nobody. I mean, Cleveland needs to take a big ego check and look themselves in the mirror and understand that you are not very good. You just have a couple good players in key positions. But right now, you look terrible. It looks like it's all about how you look and not how you play. And honestly, I, I can roll with this because I'd like nothing more than to just remind everybody how much of a shit show the Browns are. So, we'll see what happens there. But somebody please break Beckham's watch, okay? Kansas City goes out and hangs 40 points on the, Chief, or on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And not only do they hang 40 points on Jacksonville, but second drive of the game... 
on an unbelievably beautiful dime that Nick Foles dropped. Foles drops a dime in the corner of the end zone. Chris Jones just annihilates him because of bad pass protection. Drops him on his non-throwing shoulder. breaks his clavicle. He's on IR until week 11. That is a bad thing. All right? That's not good. That's not what you want if you're Jacksonville. Now, what's really concerning to me is Jacksonville giving up 40 points. If you give up 40 points in this league, there's zero chance in hell that you're going to... 40 points in this league is a decence. You can't give up that kind of points and the the first downs conversions on third down they were giving up and the yards per clip rushing. Tariq Hill goes out of the game, they still give up 40. Mahomes is special, but I'm telling you, I think people are a little intimidated by him as well. So you can't assume that you're just going to go in and roll. We'll see what Garner Minshew can do for Jacksonville moving forward, but you can't give up 40 points to fucking anybody and expect to win, especially Kansas City. Again, though, Kansas City is going to be fantastic the entire season, I'm sure. They're going to be 13, 14 wins, and Mahomes is going to be right up there for MVP and all that shit. But are they going to be able to do it in the playoffs? They consistently choke in the playoffs. We'll see if that's changed this year. I doubt it. Uh, My Jets and the Skins both blow. Jets blow a 16-point lead, and the Skins blow a 17-point lead to open the year with divisional losses. Uh, The Jets... Uniforms were atrocious. I thought they were terrible, but whatever. Uh, C.J. Mosley gets a pick six and then pulls a groin. He didn't play in the preseason. I wonder why. Le'Veon Bell, on the other hand, hasn't played in a year and a half, and he played every offensive snap. And I thought it was they didn't really use him correctly, but he still ended up with 96 yards and a touch. Crowder, the the new addition they brought in from Washington, uh, had 14 catches, which is a franchise record. But at the same time, they looked really, really off-kilter, they weren't very aggressive running the football, and they had four damn turnovers. They got four turnovers from Buffalo and ended up losing and didn't turn the ball over. That can't happen in the Meadowlands. And the Redskins, I mean, look, I know Case Keenum had a good afternoon, but what in the hell are you doing playing Case Keenum? Just play Haskins and get it over with. I mean, what the fuck? Case Keenum's not the future of the Redskins. Dwayne Haskins is. Why are you even messing with Case Keenum? Just to prove to Haskins that he needs to watch more tape? of a guy that has nothing to do with with his development in Case Keenum. Case Keenum and Haskins aren't even close to being the same kind of player. Case Keenum's an undrafted, undersized gunslinger that is really average, and Dwayne Haskins is a massive athlete that can run with a massive arm that just needs to be developed. And I think that not playing him is not helping him. Gruden's worried about his job. He's not worried about the future, which you never know. He may be developing Dwayne Haskins for the next staff. By the way, with the Redskins, what do we have to do in Denver to get Trent Williams here? Okay, so Chargers go out and get a win in overtime over the Andrew Luckless Colts. Uh, the Colts played really hard. Brissett played really well. The Chargers reminded Melvin Gordon that he can sell as long as they want him as Austin Eckler and the other cat go off. Eckler had over 100, 100 yards receiving and rushing combined. The Chargers are going to be a hard team to deal with, but at the same time, uh, they lost their outstanding safety, James, in the in the training camp, and they looked really shaky on defense yesterday. But then again, you got to be able to score points in order to exploit that. So we'll see what happens with them. They're going to be right there at the end of it. The Rams go to Carolina and beat up on the Panthers, thirty to twenty-seven. Christian McCaffrey might be the best player in the league. Uh, that guy is as fast laterally as he is vertically. Great hands. He literally carried the Panthers on the back the whole game. I mean, he was unstoppable. He's getting better. Cam Newton's getting worse. And honestly, I think there might be something with Cam mentally too because 
what in the fuck are you wearing post-game, dog? I mean, did you steal that hat from my grandma? Are you going to go out and, like, you're going to go out and pick some tomatoes? You're going to go, you're going to go plant some, some fucking, like, kidney beans or something? I just don't know. We got to get you some gloves from, from Ace Hardware? One of those little rakes? We'll start calling you Mrs. Newton? Bro, you're, I mean, I, I get it. It's all about swag, but you're, you're game with style is fucked up cam you look ridiculous bro that hat is awful uh, and if you think i'm crazy with that you probably got the same hat in your uh closet so i don't know cam the gardener maybe his maybe his next gig if he keeps playing like he's playing that will be his next gig and we'll see if the rams are what they what we think they are Gurley, you know was limited but he did get close to 100 yards brown was awesome golf was next to Perfect, and the defense gave up some points, but Aaron Donald was Aaron Donald, and they ended up winning. They're going to be there right at the end. Now, the Cowboys went out and destroyed the Giants. Dak Prescott went for 405 and four touchdowns. He's the only guy that hasn't gotten paid yet. That's happening, and he should get it, and he's going to. Jerry Jones has essentially opened up the till and started paying everybody, and I like it. I think he's done a really good job building his offensive line. They get Zeke Elliott in. He was a glorified cheerleader the other day. Gallup was awesome. Cooper was awesome. I love what they did with Randall Cobb. I watched every minute of this game because I want to see if the Cowboys are real. Now, the Cowboys are notorious for choking. That said, I think that they've got a really young core that doesn't know that. They don't know that. They're all babies. There's no one sitting. They're not believing that Dallas can't be good. And when Dak gets paid and he gets that out of the way, I think that this team could really be somebody to deal with later in the year. That offensive line and Zeke get continuity together. They just played paid Collins. I mean, I, I love their offensive line with the exception of their left guard. The young Cat Williams from Texas is a liability at times, but they'll get him figured out. Kellen Moore, the, uh, the left-handed quarterback from Boise State, who's now the OC in Dallas. Last year, he was the quarterback coach, and he took a ton of shit, and everybody was trying to run him out of town. And this year, he's the offensive coordinator, and now everybody's trying to praise him and give him the head coaching job. So pick one. He's always been that good of a coach. He just didn't have any say over who and what was going on last year, who's getting the ball into plays and how they're running them from a scheme perspective. And now he has all the say, and they look really good. So the, the Giants are going one way. The Cowboys are going another. I'd like to think that Dallas is going to sustain this because I, I think that the NFL is better when they're good. Now, we just talked about the best three teams in the NFC, and this is the third, New Orleans. New Orleans and Houston last night in Monday Night Football was the, the game of the weekend. Uh, the Saints won on a 58-yard walk-off field goal, 30-28, to 28, um, after Deshaun Watson went down and essentially put Houston in front, and they were all sitting on the sideline talking about winning the game. Um, there's a lot of circumstances late in that game where Romeo Cornell, the defense coordinator for the Texans, totally gifted it to New Orleans. I mean, to play three deep prevent when all they need is seven yards, you're not up pressing or playing in the house and trying to force quick throws. It's so ridiculous to me. I'm freaking out if I'm J.J. Watt or somebody in that meeting room. Why in the Sam hell are we playing three deep prevent when all they need is six, seven yards to kick a field goal? I mean, what the fuck are we doing? That's what I'm talking about. There's a disconnect between the coaches and the players. I think the coaches think the players know a lot, and the players are relying on the coaches to, to put them in position. But from what I'm understanding, the players need the coaches to go out there and tell them exactly where to go to. There's no more reaction. It's either, well, the coach didn't tell me to go there, or you don't make the play. So that can't be the way football is played. You've got to be able to react. That's what instinct means. And when you're three deep, 
prevent and you know all they need is seven yards and everybody in the building's talking about get seven yards and the sticks are at seven yards and Ted Ginn runs a six-yard dig and they get him the rock and everybody's surprised. You're the only ones. So the Texans, if they are a game out of winning the division, they can look back at this and understand why it happened. But Houston did everything right. I mean, Tunsil had a good game. The other four sucked. The other four offensive linemen were getting Watson killed. A lot of folks are wondering why Deshaun Watson's getting hit like he is. And it's because Bill O'Brien refuses to change the step pattern in his quarterback and his drop patterns. He's not going quick throws. He's not doing three, five step drops. Everything's a seven step drop. It's deep in the pocket. He's asking him to step up into the pocket and deliver throws down the field rather than getting the, the ball to his skill players in space and letting them run. Watson's going to get killed. He's not going to survive. And this kid could be one of the best players at his position in NFL history if he can stay healthy. I truly believe that. I love everything about four. But he's going to get murked if this continues. So change up the drops, more three and five step, more quick game, more screens, you know, less sliding left. You don't need to do that anymore. You just traded for Tunzel. It's like they got in the habit of sliding left just like the Broncos. So New Orleans is really special. Houston's going to be pretty good. We'll see what happens with both of them. The Saints have weapons everywhere. That building is ruckus. Cam Jordan and Davis, the linebacker and the defensive end, are elite. They're leaky on defense, but Houston's really good, too, and it's week one. Don't be surprised if the NFC title game is either Dallas-New Orleans or the Rams-New Orleans again. Those three teams seem to me that they're the best in the NFC, and the NFC's deep. They got some dudes. Philadelphia, we haven't even talked about them. Um, <clears throat> so we will. Uh, the Eagles get a huge win as well. They beat the Redskins, like we said. The Redskins blew a 17-point lead. Wentz looked really good. They, locked Malik, they lost Malik Jackson for the year with a list Frank injury uh, today, so that's not good for their pass rush, but they got other dudes. Uh, so the Eagles are going to be right there in the end of it as well. Those Eagle-Dallas games are going to be pretty kick-ass. All right, so... Here we go. Your Denver Broncos. So Broncos and the Raiders play last night the uh, the finale on Monday Night Football from the Coliseum, the last Monday Night Football game ever from Oakland Alameda, and they've had some doozies. Um, the Broncos lose 24-16 by eight, uh, and there were tons of mistakes. All right, the top six is up. It's at BSN Unchained. Yeah, I'm also retweeting it at Sixer Academy on Twitter. Um I'm trying to post it on YouTube, but it's a huge pain in my ass because you can only post one minute, so we'll probably just keep it on Twitter. But I'm telling you, the mistakes are apparent, but so are the good things. There was a lot of good stuff that happened. It's just over overmatched and overviewed by the negative. And the opening play of the game will reverse to your rookie tight end. What are we doing? There's five to seven play calls in that game where I'm literally thinking I'm watching high school football. A reverse to a tight end. What in the fuck are we doing? I mean, come on. The swinging gate play, I ran that at Niwot like in 1996 or 7 or something, and it didn't work there, so I don't know why it would work against the fucking Raiders. Uh, and Also, if Freeman's going to go inside when all those blockers are outside, that could be a problem. The swinging gate was terrible. Um, let's see, what else? The inability to isolate your left tackle is a problem. Garrett... Struggled immensely in the ball game the other night. Uh, the the pitch play to Phil Lindsay where everyone went right and the opposite side pitched him and he did a good job of shaking Crosby. I mean Garrett has an opportunity to just murk Carl Joseph or the other safety and he lets both of them run right by him as he's backpedaling out and avoiding contact. 
I'm of the mindset that 72 doesn't know what he's doing. And I truly believe this. I think that he's going to get somebody killed and probably our quarterback. And not only that, but I can only imagine the resentment and the animosity towards him in the O-line meeting room and how the coaches talk about him when the door's closed. Because it can't be good. Can't be good. The holding penalty on him was atrocious. There was one circumstance where I really think that Garrett and his inability to stop a bull rush led to Jawan James getting hurt, although the, the entire offensive line got collapsed on that one. But still, Garrett was the first one to get collapsed. Um, he's just out of out of position a lot, and because he doesn't know what he's doing, he's always relying on a rookie to tell him. And if Reisner's always having to tell Bulls what he's doing, then how can he focus on improving himself? Garrett's supposed to be the one helping the rookie, not the other way around. Uh, McGovern, Leary, Leary was a little rusty, but got his feet back underneath him as the game went on. Obviously, he can get better, and I know he's going to work to get better. I thought McGovern played his ass off. I thought he was really good all night. No problems with the snaps. He, he showed one play where he snapped, shotgun snapped, uh, or no, under under center snap on the pitch to Lindsey, and he pulled out and hooked a three technique. I mean, that's really hard to do. So 60 had a great game. I love the way he cleaned the pocket and really helped both guards all night. We didn't see a lot of face pressure on Flacco, so I thought Connor did a really good job. I hope that he can stay here as he's going to be unrestricted after the season. But if we don't pay him, somebody's going to. He's too athletic and too smart and gives a shit too much not to be somebody's center. And hopefully it's here. Um, and then Jawan James. And Jawan's getting an MRI this morning, but I guarantee you he's out for an extended period of time. Uh, and that sucks. We didn't even get our highest paid offensive lineman in history through a quarter and a half. And now Elijah Wilkinson is going to be playing right tackle again until Jawan comes back. Who do you put out for Garrett if he continues to struggle? I just I don't think that there's going to be a lot of answers, folks. I don't think that the Broncos think that Garrett is as bad as he is. I don't know. They they see the same tape we see. They even got a better view, and they know what they're doing. I'm just guessing. So I'm very concerned about this, to say the least. But at the same time, in order to be really concerned, you have to be able to change things. And I don't think the Broncos want to change anything. I think they're content with Garrett being there until he's not. And if, they, if that means he just has to go struggle through an entire season, then I guess that's what it is. And that sucks, but... That's, I guess that's what's going on. I can't really put my thumb on it any other way. So the offensive line has got to improve. The play calling has got to improve. Everyone's got to get better. From a defensive perspective, they have no hits and no sacks with Vaughn and Chubb on the field. It's disgustingly terrible. I mean, unacceptable. There was one play in the game, and I posted this at the BSN uh, Top 6 as well for the week. Uh, at BSN Unchained, go check it out. But, you know, the Raiders come out three by one tight end ISO, so they isolate the tight end away from Chubb, and they put Vaughn topside. So Vaughn gets the pass rush. They have three odd front defensive linemen inside. Wolf, the nose tackle, Shelby Harris, I think it was, and Gostas, they're all two-gapping. So 4-I, 0-4-I, none of those guys are going to be pass rush first. And then their trips to the field. So Bradley Chubb has to go from a five or a five technique on the outside shoulder of the, of the left tackle, which is a second-year player, Miller from UCLA. He's a good player, but not great. I'd rather Chubb be rushing him than dropping. And he walks out to the slot receiver, okay, just to cover curl the flat. And then they throw the ball inside of him, and he misses a tackle. Why in the Sam Hell is fifty-five out in space dropping? I mean, come on, man. This. 
I never saw Khalil Mack drop once last year, and I know that he did, but at the same time, you can't tell me that this is Vic Fangio's scheme, all the man coverage. Where's all the zone bait coverage we saw? Where's the robber? Is Callahan not being on the field this much of an issue that we can't operate? Isaac Yadam, I mean, good God, son, you may want to change your number back just so nobody knows who you are. You were toasty, toasty. I mean, you're you're as burned as a pop tart on on you know on level seven, scorched, uneatable. You got to know who you're playing against when they when Derek Carr walks up to the line of scrimmage and yells, "Kill, kill, kill, kill!" and they're in twenty one personnel, tight end heavy with an extra offensive lineman on the field. And Williams to the top of the screen is being pressed by Yada with no safety help. You gotta know that John Gruden loves waist down shots, and that's what it was. Third and one at the plus forty or at the minus forty. Later in the game, he didn't go for it and shanked a punt. You could see him say, I just should have gone for it and throw it over their head again. So you gotta know who you're playing, which is another huge indicator that the team just wasn't ready. I have no doubt that they played hard. No one's questioning effort. I have no doubt that they care. No one's questioning desire. I just, I see things that are fixable. And my time in the NFL, as as shitty as it was at times, okay, being hurt and having to change positions and everything, it's also what makes me good at this because I get to funnel my love for this and my knowledge through the guys I work with. And through my mediums of social media and, and, and the media and on shows and everything else. I'm simply saying this. Fixable problems need to be fixed in this league. And the longer that they ignore it or they try and tell everyone that's watching that it's not actually happening, that's not a good thing. You know, convincing the public and, and the, the pundits out here that they're stupid or trying to rather than you know, having a conversation about the development of your football team and how you're going to do it and what you're going to do to improve Garrett Bowles and why is the play calling so bad rather than coming out, not bad, excuse me, why is the play calling as, how do I say this, as suspect as it was last night with some of those plays and instead of saying, oh, I thought that everything was pretty good and execution-wise, instead of saying he thought everything was pretty good, just say what everyone knows. It wasn't very good. It wasn't acceptable. Deshaun Hamilton needs to catch the fucking ball. You know, you got to protect better. Our scheme needs to be better. Our play calling needs to be better inside the 20, especially inside the 10. We've got to do things physical first. Do your job physically with aggression, with, with exuberance. Look for someone to strike rather than run around confused, wondering. You know, it, I was always told that if you don't know what you're doing, at least fuck up full speed. Don't fuck up at 50% because then you're just going to look like you're stupid and slow. Where do the Broncos go from here? They got a short week and the Bears are coming into town. We're probably going to put up the Bear uh, and Air Force previews on Friday, I'd say. But the Bear, I mean, Fangio knows that D and they know him. Nagy knows how to get under Vic's skin and they, they need to get right. They only scored three points. I mean, we're looking at the potential of this game and, and Mile High being 9-6. to six. <laughs> Just saying, Denver's defense is going to be pissed off and raring to go and ready to go out and prove to people that they're pretty good, which I think they still could be. And Chicago's offense is going to come out raring to go, prove, trying to prove to people that they weren't just a fluke from last year and Trubisky is not regressing. 
And then defensively, it's going to be a contest. Vaughn and Chubb against Mack and Floyd. Which tandem can can get to the quarterback more? Which tandem can cause more holding penalties and disruption? Which tandem can cause more turnovers? Who's going to, you know, on defense, who's going to match Hicks? The big three technique for Chicago. Can our secondary match Jackson, Eddie Jackson, and the turnover machine that he is? Can Josie Jewell match Raekwon Smith? And I know you'll say, well, they never see each other. It's defense and defense. I'm saying match. Match. And the last thing, it was the, the same thing I said about CU and Nebraska. CU, defensive front needs to outplay Nebraska's, and they did. Linebacking core needs to outplay. Lamin needs to outplay Muhammad, and he did. Taylor needs to outplay the secondary and JoJo Doman from Nebraska, and he did. That's what I'm talking about. They need to outplay their opponent. When they're watching the other guy play, they need to put it in the back of their head, i got to make more plays than him. Josie Jewell should have outplayed Burfitt last night, not the other way around, if you get my point. Trent Brown, the right tackle for the, for the Raiders. You know, uh, Wilkinson and, and Bull should be going, i got to play better than him. And if you do... You're going to be the best tackle in the league because that guy is an absolute monster. I wonder why we didn't go after him, honestly, especially with New England not bringing him back. So the Broncos have a lot that they need to improve on, but I think they can improve. And the, the sink is not shipped, or the sip is not shink, sinking by any means. It's the first week of the season. Take a breath, okay? The buffs, that was incredible. Thank you for busting your ass and getting that W. I'll never forget the last two years. Uh, being there was special. Don't take Air Force lightly. And I know you won't. They're already getting ready for them, and that's a discipline game. Be disciplined. Stop the triple option. Play with respect and understand you are playing warriors first that defend you while you sleep, and you respect those men, but kick their ass and run them back to Colorado Springs nonetheless, and I'll be there as well. This is episode 46 of McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Matt McChesney. Thank you for listening as we wrap up the rivalry weekend that was on the Mile High Front Range. Remember, 60strength.com is the website. Check it out for any and all questions about the bridge that is 60 Football Academy. We had about 45 guys out on the recruiting trail this last weekend in Boulder, Fort Collins, and all over the country, really. Got guys going to Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Ohio State and Michigan and USC and CU and all over the damn place. So if you're looking for opportunity, that's what we do. Remember to check out the Twitter pages at 60 Academy and then at BSN Unchained and then also on Instagram at 60 Academy. I am your host, Matt McChesney. That is episode 46. Thanks for listening, folks. That's a wrap.